Hello and welcome to another edition of 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn, and we're recording the show on Wednesday morning, November the 7th, uh, right after Election Day. Our guest this morning is the president of Louisville Public Media, District 8 resident, and uh, friend of District 8, Stephen George. Stephen, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Good morning. It's my pleasure. Yeah, it's really nice to talk to you. First of all, this is our 20th episode, mm. and I uh, am... Number one, excited that we've made it this far. I think we're having a lot of fun with the show. And I'm excited to be interviewing uh, somebody who's a personal friend and somebody who is involved in uh, an organization that I care deeply about and that I think does really good work in the community. And it's also interesting that we're talking um, the morning after Election Day, and uh, these are the kind of conversations that you and I could go on for hours and hours about. But we'll try to, we'll try to control ourselves and stick to the topic at hand. But, uh, but anyway, we're excited to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Congratulations on 20 episodes. Thank you. I, I assume the people that live in the Highlands and that actually listen to our podcast are probably Louisville Public Media listeners as well. Yeah, and if they're not members, I can tell you how easy it is to We join. will definitely do that at the end of the show. <laughs> but um, for anyone who's not familiar with LPM or who might not know you, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Louisville Public Media, first high level, and then tell us a little bit about yourself, background, bio, that kind of a thing. Sure. Uh, Louisville Public Media is home to our three public radio stations. That's 89.3 WFPL. That's news and talk all day long, all night long, 24-7. Um, 91.9 WFPK, which is like alternative music, indie music, that sort of stuff. We also do Waterfront Wednesday, so if you come down there during the summer or fall, early fall, um, that's ours as well. And then uh, 90.5 WUOL, which is 24-7 classical music. Through that, we also run some music education programming where we work in low-income neighborhoods with at-risk students to teach them um, how to how to put their creative output into uh, a form, and often it's music. And uh, so those are the three kind of programs that we do through um, through our major stations. Then we have uh, the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting, which is a five person uh, independent investigative news operation. They uh, work with our news team at WFPL. We also have something called the Ohio Valley Resource, which is a regional newsroom. So we put together a group of seven public media outlets in Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia to cover the generational shifts that are happening in the Appalachian region right now. So we produce there, uh, that coverage there. And then um, uh, we run do502.com, which is the city's social calendar. Uh, if you were wondering what's happening in Louisville this weekend, that's the best place to go. And so. That is, in a nutshell, what Louisville Public Media does. We are uh, listener and people supported. We have about 13,500 members uh, in and around this community, and we're very proud of what they've uh, uh, empowered us to build over the years. Yeah, a great organization, and also just as a matter of disclosure, I'm a former board member mm -hmm. at Louisville Public Media, still a paying and proud member Thank of the you. organization. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit more about LPM and all mm -hmm. the different uh, divisions of your organization and what you do and how it relates to Louisville Metro government uh, and local government specifically. But tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, what's your background, your education, sort of, you know, your sure. career to this point. Yeah, I'm a Louisville native. Um, I was born and raised here. Uh, I used to uh, be the editor of Leo Weekly back in the early and mid-2000s, been a journalist for the majority of my career. Um, I did the boomerang thing uh, in um, like 2008, 2009. I moved to Nashville and I ran um, something called the Nashville City Paper there for a few years. 
I was there on the front end of the uh, of the population and development boom that's happening right now. So my one true regret is not buying property. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you know, Nashville is an amazing place, uh, and a really cool city. But um, I stayed there for a few years, um, and then I uh, and then I did something different. I went and worked uh, in Congress for three three plus years uh, for John Yarmouth, who gave me my first job as a journalist in 2003 when he was running Leo. Uh, so we have a long um, relationship there. I did that for a few years. Um, then that's when the sort of boomerang cycle completed. I came back. I worked for Insider Louisville for a minute. Um, I was an editor over there. And then I got hired as executive editor at Louisville Public Media. And that job is basically um, to manage content across all of the platforms that we have. Um, and I did that for three years or so, and then three months ago took over as our permanent president. Well, I think that um, we all have some interesting things to talk about because of sort of you've had experience in both mm-hmm. government and journalism, and even what what was your title when you worked for Congressman Yarmouth? Communications were, director. Okay, so you know you're right in that sort of overlapping sweet spot yeah. where how government. Uh, works with media and communicates to the public that I think is super important. I'd like to dig mm-hmm. in there a little bit deeper sure. um, later in the show. But um, um, so it is, we, we can't ignore the fact that it is the morning after election day in yeah. America. And, um, you know, this isn't really a politics show, it, and, it's, and we don't really focus on big picture national and state issues very much. But, um, you know, I know we're still probably perusing the headlines and the data and seeing what happened uh, locally here, but I guess the high-level headlines are that Mayor Fisher was popularly re-elected. There have been some new members elected to the Metro Council in addition to some retiring members that are, that are coming off. Do you have any sort of high-level takeaways, what, what, what you see that the community said about uh, local elected officials on yesterday's election day? Sure. I was not surprised, uh, really, by much of anything. Um, at the hyper-local level, um, Mayor Fisher came away with a big majority. Uh, John Yarmouth came away with a big majority. Um, none of that is unexpected. Uh, I was a little surprised by the uh, Democrats adding two seats on the Metro Council. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was Glenn Stuckel out in Anchorage, and he's been there for a very long time. And, um, you know, those, I think, long-time incumbents tend to hold on and seats like Metro Council seats because you develop a familiarity, you know, you are sort of constantly at the same events as a lot of your constituents, things like that. And so I was a little surprised by that, but I understand that Marcus Winkler, who was the Democrat in the race, um, knocked on every door just about three times over. So uh, as you know, which I think that was, I think that was, that was really at the center of your campaign strategy a couple of years ago too. I mean, that works. You got to go knock on people's doors That's right. in a race like this. That's right. That's right. Um, um, beyond that, I think what we saw last night is um, the, the, the continuing or the growing sort of chasm between urban and rural voters. Um, that seems to be, that, that differentiator seems to be getting greater and greater. Yeah, and you're talking um, more in, in the state and, and national state picture. State and national picture, yeah. Sticking with the local sure. uh, elections, though, how did you guys cover the races? I mean, you know, I'm a, I, f- I listen to the radio, I read the website, and I saw that you all previewed all of the races and yeah. so, so what was sort of your approach you know going back however many months ago to really and, and what did you think your responsibility was in terms of communicating to the public about what's going on here in, in yeah. the elections so we're not a huge uh, news organization but we're also not super small you know we've got about seven full-time reporters uh, three editors on top of that working um, on daily news coverage and so when you do election prep 
um, and covering <clears throat> election night, it's all hands on deck. So everybody kind of starts to shift uh, their responsibilities a couple weeks or even a few days in, in advance. And you, um, and you just, this year we tried to be as comprehensive as we could be. Um, and so we also looked for uh, holes in the news ecosystem here. So one of those is coverage of judicial races. Mm -hmm. And we have nonpartisan judici judicial elections, so there's no shorthand, right? There's no party affiliation shorthand to decide, well, I don't know these people, but I know the party and blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So um, it really, if you want to make an informed choice as a voter, you've got to sit down and spend some time learning about these candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, there are very few resources to do that. So um, going back several months, we partnered with the League of Women Voters, who was putting on a series of um, uh, forums for the ju judicial candidates. And what we did is sent a producer out there we recorded every single one, and we brought them back, um, transcribed some of the key answers to what we thought were um, questions that would uh, offer voters some insight into who these people were and how they decide big issues, and then we posted those on our website. Uh, so we covered every competitive judicial race that way. Um, our city reporter, Amina Elahi, uh, covered uh, the council races. As you know, the odd-numbered council districts were on the ballot this year. Um, Amina also covered the the mayor's race. Ryland Barton, who covers our who kind of runs our state house coverage, uh, also covered the congressional race. We also partnered with the league and um, Wave Three to host political debates at our shop, um, both a mayoral debate and a congressional debate. It's the first time we've done that, and, and you know you'll probably hear me say this over and over when I talk about how we cover news um, and how we approach our coverage. Uh, we partner a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, we collaborate a lot more than we, I think, try to be competitive. Because I think it's important to recognize um, that you're not going to, you know, nobody's going to be able to do every single thing by themselves. Uh, that's just not how news works anymore. You mentioned that you were previewing all the judicial races, and yeah. I read some of those articles. I also read, you know, you did a, a, a an explainer of the soil and mm -hmm. water conservation district, yeah, and what that entity is and how it works. And so I saw that you said that the constables, I think, and yeah. you sort of dug into some of these other um, mm -hmm. less familiar offices to the public to explain what's going on there. And that real, and you do other things, of course, at at FPL, mm -hmm. Curious Louisville, where you sort of yeah. answer people's questions about things in the community that they don't know or they don't understand. And I'm really interested in um, continuing education, people's civics education. I try to, through my newsletters or social media or this podcast or other ways, make sure people know what government is and how it works so that, you know, we don't have to sort of cram right before election day and try to make decisions on the ballot. Do you see some of these strategies that you've adopted here, whether it's debates or other kinds of forums or these other kinds of investigative pieces, um, making up a larger part of your content going forward than opposed to just reporting the news, more actual sort of public, ed public education initiatives with respect to government? Yeah, um, I think that's core to what we do. Um, one of the things that we've seen happen over time and it has sort of uh in my view it has accelerated over the past decade or so is that um it's become increasingly complex to interact with government um and in fact there's a there's uh, been a, a push to make it harder to interact with government whether that's at the voting level or basic access to services and so 
one of the things that we think um, is part of our, is quarter our mission, is to help people understand their government, understand the institutions uh, in our community and our society that are uh, built to serve them or make their lives uh, better or easier in some way. Um, the uh, soil and water conservation district piece, if you look at the metrics, um, there's a, a, a lot, of, there's a big audience out there uh, of people who want to understand and don't understand, right? Or maybe didn't understand before, they were curious about it. Uh, same thing with the constables, like people don't know that uh, constables are elected and they're given a badge and a gun and there's no training and there's no real structure around that, you know? Um, I think a lot of people, I know I've had this experience in my life, would go into a voting booth um, on election day and be surprised at like half the stuff that's on there, right? And so right. part of our goal- Big ballot yesterday. That it was a big ballot yesterday. Um, and so part of our goal, and I think part of our obligation as a public uh, service organization, not just a media company, um, is to help educate people on, on that and you know, help them understand their government a little better. Now Louisville Public Media is an independent 501c3. You're not affiliated with any other institution or you, know, you don't have a legal relationship with any other institution. But for people who might not know the history, you know, there is Louisville Public Media and the public radio partnership that proceeded did grow out of some sort of relationship with Louisville Metro government. And doesn't doesn't yeah. Louisville Metro government still appoint or the mayor still appoints a couple of the members of your board? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how does that work? So LPM's gone through basically three major revolutions. And the first was in the early 1950s when we put um, a public radio station in the public library. We were the first organization in America to do that. LFPL, Louisville <laughs> Free Public Library. That's right, FPL. Um, and, uh, and that was so revolutionary at the time, we won a Peabody Award for it um, in 1955. Uh, the second revolution was in the early 90s, merging uh, three public radio stations uh, together under one roof, and that became uh, the public radio partnership. That was WFPL, WFPL, WFPK, WUOL. Uh, what we did when we merged those is create distinct formats on each of them, so news, um, what's called AAA music, and classical. Uh, we later became Louisville Public Media to sort of recognize that radio broadcast was sort of expanding into all of these other areas, digital areas and so forth. And so, um, you know, we're set up much more like a media company now than a, than a broadcast radio organization. Mm -hmm. um, and then this kind of third revolution was this major investment we made in content um, in local news about uh, six, seven years ago now. Uh, where we uh, we have basically doubled the size of the WFPL Daily Newsroom. We created the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting. We created the regional newsroom that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and so that has led us to the point where we are today. Um, this is, I love the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting. I mm -hmm. think they did these amazing long-form pieces and obviously take a lot of time. And it's not sort of this traditional news. It's you know, more like a news magazine than anything else in terms of what other people consume in terms of their daily news. Has the KYCIR really dipped into Louisville Metro government yet? Have you ever really done any investigations that take a hard look at the mayor's office or the city council or any of the, any of the departments? We have. Um, a few of the highlights uh, you'll remember, because I believe you were, um, I believe you sponsored this legislation or co-sponsored <laughs> it, but we dug into the uh, immigration and custom uh, oh, right. That was enforcement, a KYCIR Customs piece. enforcement, yeah. Uh, we found out that um, the Metro Police were 
using, I'm sorry, ICE was using Metro Police to door knock because they couldn't, and then they were uh, grabbing these people for deportation. Uh, the response to that was swift, and it was significant. As you know, um, the mayor's office called it great, re- important reporting right away that day. Yeah. Uh, police uh, changed the policy, and then um, you guys on the council passed a resolution to ensure that it wouldn't happen again. An ordinance, um, actually. So an ordinance, ordinance, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and so to ensure it wouldn't happen again. So um, that's one example. Um, we've been digging into the situation over at Dosker Manor recently. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a reporter, Jake Ryan, who spent the last few years working covering City Hall for uh, WFPL. We moved him over to the investigative unit a while back and asked him to dig into some local institutions. One of the first th- first places he looked was um, public housing. Mm-hmm. And what we found at Dosker Manor was absolutely unconscionable. I mean, there had been more than a thousand complaints of bed bugs and other infestation um, over, uh, I think, believe a couple of year period. Um, and nothing had been, nothing had been done. And so we did a story within two months. Um, they had crew, the city had crews out there tearing out the walls and trying to eradicate the problem. Um, they had, uh, they were contemplating new policies and had started instituting new policies there to help ensure that doesn't happen again. Part of our um, I mean, you'll notice a thread here. Part of our mission and part of the, the mission of investigative reporting, I think, in general is to um, protect vulnerable people mm-hmm. um, and protect them in part from the institutions that are supposed to be looking out for them uh, when that relationship goes awry. And so we've got a lot of examples of that. Um, How have you found um, working with Louisville Metro government, whether it's the mayor's office, council, Metro Council departments, in terms of getting the information you need and having just sort of the infrastructure and the access to be able to, uh, you know, to do your stories. I think that's so important. I I think I asked Philip Bailey about this when we interviewed him a year Mm -hmm. plus ago. I mean, um, I think that local government is pretty good about transparency. Uh, We want, we say we want to be forthright with people. I certainly try to do that in my work in terms of sharing data and documents and um, sort of, you know, saying what I think and communicating on a, on a frequent basis. But, um, you know, sort of on a scale from one to 10 in terms of you getting the access that you need and the information that you need, where, where are we? And is there something that we could be doing better, um, you know, so that you can get what you need to tell people what's going on? Well, I, I, I don't know about the scale from one to 10 question, but um, I think it just depends on what you're trying to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and it kind of depends on who you're asking. I mean, thankfully, um, not just the media, but any citizen has um, legally has access to public records, uh, records kept by their government. And so um, part of it is about ensuring that that's not an onerous process to get mm-hmm. those records. Right. Um, and our experience generally with Metro is that it's, I'd say, less onerous than maybe the state, but um, it remains it's an onerous process. I mean, you still have to go, you know, you still have to go through a lot of hoops to get I, access to I learned the other day uh, when someone asked our office for an open records request, um, that, you know, they'd, they'd emailed an open records request and someone sent back something saying, well, we can't, we can't give it to you to you fax it to us or mail it to us. And yeah. That's, that's a ridiculous. Thing. That's an unnecessary you, barrier. You replace the word fax with email in yeah. the rule and let them have it. Right. Right. That's an unnecessary barrier. Um, and every agency is we different. We will change that. Good. That's great. Mark Councilman Cohn's words, it's going to get changed. That's great. Um, no, it is. It's onerous. And everybody's different. And so, you know, you may have to um, mail a check before you get access to records from one agency. You may have to fax your request in a certain, on a certain form to get them from the other, and they're all different. And so mm-hmm. that kind of interactive part of it is messy. And uh, I 
onerous. Um, Does um, the mayor or the metro council require the sort of daily press briefing like you see at the White House, or is there just not enough going on in local government or that you will not have enough resources where it would make sense to give the media sort of free reign every day like you see on TV in, in the White House? I don't think it's necessary every day, right. um, but um, I think it's I think every week or maybe every couple weeks or something, maybe as part of a council meeting, there's a, there's a gaggle kind of situation. I think it's an interesting idea. Just some um, more direct yeah. opportunities for there to be a conversation about whatever. That's right. Yeah, because what often happens is if you if you have somebody covering city hall as a beat, for example, or metro council as a beat, you'll go to all the meetings. You're sort of sitting, you mm-hmm. know, everybody's at the table, and you're sitting over to the side. Right. You maybe get two minutes with one council person afterward, and by the time you're finished with them, all the rest have left or whatever. You know, it's just like it's just weird. Um, it's a bit of a difficult prospect that way so putting some structure around it is an interesting idea mm-hmm. um you know i think it again it kind of comes back to what you're asking about um and and uh, regarding how much access you can get yeah. right if it's something that the mayor doesn't want to talk about or that you know uh, the council president don't want to talk about or whatever mm-hmm. um i think you're less likely to get easy access to them right you know which is sort of a human thing too yeah it makes sense yeah um, well, and let's... so, and so, what you do is you go catch them at other things, yeah, right? right. You like you go to the press conference or the the ribbon cutting for whatever, and you pull them aside, and you, you know, that's how we do it a lot. Well, and before we move to some of the other parts of the organization, you know, um, the, the day after election day to me is sort of the first day of the future. So, as you all are looking forward to twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. um, and you, I assume you do some sort of storyboarding or planning or thinking high level of some of the issues that you intend to cover or focus on in the city going forward. What does that process sort of look like for you? And are there certain issues that are really bubbling up to the top in terms of things that are, you know, here's really what the narrative is going to be in the city of Louisville, or one of the many narratives, or some of the narratives that that, that your organization is interested in talking to the public about going next year? Sure. Um, that's a really good question, and I don't know that I have a full answer. His part of my role as president now is... Um, to manage the business aspects, not the news coverage aspects. Right. And so um, we do have a very strong firewall between the um, the editorial decision makers and those of us who are out there raising money. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think one of the major narratives that will, um, if, if you're looking at 2019, which, mm-hmm. you know, the marquee race in Kentucky is going to be the governor's race, um, you know, in Louisville, it's all about how Louisville, I think, relates to the broader legislature and mechanisms in Frankfurt. Yeah, and even and, and even forget the governor's race. Just in terms of the health and the well-being and the state of our city, mm-hmm. you know, trying to take a look at, you know, I think, I think, I think, me and you talked at a party once about, you know, the West Louisville. Yeah, uh, and some of the lingering issues in our community in terms of. Um, segregation and income inequality and education gap and some of the just persistent problems. Do you see um, those things having a, um, you know, a a brighter light shine on them in 2019 for some reason? Are there other individual projects or, you know, things going on that Mm -hmm. you might point to? I think the biggest question for the community um, over the next year is what happens in Russell. Russell. Um, There is... Um, I mean, and there are going to be ripple effects throughout Louisville. Um, 
one of the things that we that is happening there right now. So obviously, you know that there's um, that's the I think there's more investment, more dollars being invested in and around Russell right now than anywhere else mm-hmm. um, uh, in terms of money committed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we're tearing down Beecher and we're going to be rebuilding that. And um, so there's a question of displacement there and what happens to those residents. Uh, even more broad, we're at this point where um, I think there's a lot of energy around redevelopment and economic vitality in West Louisville, but there's a lot of anxiety around gentrification, mm-hmm. right? And we're kind of in a unique spot because we can see it coming. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, the question, the central question for the Russell rebuild to me is, how do you get the neighborhood so deeply involved in that process so that it creates economic opportunity for people who are living there who don't want to leave, who want to see their neighborhood flourish, to want to see, who want to see Russell really grow and thrive rather than just signing on developers to come build buildings. Right. right. And, this, and this reminds me, obviously, when I, when I was on the board of LPM, I worked um, in, my, in my board capacity in the area of diversity yeah. and uh, inclusion. And one of the things we talked about was how can the organization with all of its tools and its big microphone and its mm-hmm. barrels of ink or, you know, you know, figuratively, yeah. how do you reach underserved and unserved populations? And so uh, are there some mm-hmm. specific new tactics or anything that yeah. you all are doing, whether it's with respect to folks in the Russell neighborhood or other parts of the city to, to bring sort of... Um, LPM to the people and plug them in? Yeah, that's a great question. One of, one of the ways we do it is by public service journalism like voter guides and explainers on how to understand this, that, and the other about what you might be voting for, or how you might be interacting with your government and its institutions. But um, to the point of diversity, that's something that we've taken very seriously at LPM over the past few years. And I'm proud to report that the WFPL newsroom went has gone in that period from um, about five, six percent people of color to now 40 percent. I think that's excellent. And I think what it does is it gets more diversity in the decision making of not just the stories we cover, but how we cover them. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, it also connects us to different parts of the community where we haven't been connected before. Um, And so, you know, part of Part of reaching a more diverse audience is making sure that what people are hearing represents their interests and their experiences. And, and just, so we've been heavily focused on that. Yeah, and you know, I probably know this lesson now more than I did when I was trying to do some of this work at the organization. I've really learned that you have to go to people where they are. Yes, you do. I mean, an example is, you know, we're we're doing a lot of neat sort of projects in District 8. We're doing participatory budgeting. We try to have some town halls about block watches and this, that, the other. And every time you try to say, hey, we're going to have this event at this place at this certain time, and you go there and you wait to see how many people show up, <laughs> you know. Prepare to be disappointed. It's never a lot is sort of the short answer. Mm-hmm. However, when you pick your spots yeah. and you go to, and you set up camp or you put up a table in an area where there's tons of people passing by. Like, so for example, we brought our participatory budgeting project to the Cyclovia. Yeah. You know, we interact with more people there than we did at all of our events put together. So in terms of being on the ground with reporters, uh, I mean, I guess that's just part of what they do day in and day out on Mm -hmm. the street. Uh, Any other sort of insight about Louisville public media out in the community? And this doesn't have to be just the news. This can be FPK or UOL or... Yeah. How do you reach out there and really touch people? It's key. I mean, one of the things that I tell our staff um, 
that I told our staff when I took over in this role and that I, I continue to preach is that gone are the days when we sit back in our building on 4th Street and broadcast smart stuff and wait for people to find interest in it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to take it to people. We have to go um, to where they are. We have, whether that's digital platforms or actually going in person to different neighborhoods and community centers, right? Um, you know, we, we have a really robust engagement uh, effort at LPM, We've, we're, gonna, we're on track to put on 120 events this year um, and have a presence at 500 more throughout the community. And one of the things we track there is, is uh, geographic diversity, mm-hmm. right? So it's important to us to do that. Um, the other thing, and I'll come back to something I said earlier, is, is finding the right partners, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't go into a neighborhood you've never been before who have, you know, where you have you know, 10% of them listening and expect them to just flock to you. It's ridiculous, right? So what you have to do is put in the work to develop authentic partnerships with people who will help take you into those areas and help introduce you to people who can tell you what's going on and introduce you to even more people who have interesting stories to tell. I'll, I, I just leave one example. Um, going back to Russell, like I said, we've had a heavy focus in building relationships there at the reporter level and then at the institution level. But um, at the reporter level, we did a really cool series of pieces recently about um, why people stay, mm-hmm. right? Like, so one of the things we try to do is push back on these lazy narratives about, oh, well, you know, if, it's, if, it's, if you live in a dirty community or if you live in a crime-ridden community, why don't you just leave, mm-hmm. right? Which is a ridiculous notion on its face, but a lot of people, you hear that a lot, right? So we went and found people who had been living in Russell for a long time and said, why do you stay? Mm-hmm. You know, and the things they said were the same things you and I say about our neighborhoods, right? It's the same experience. It's it's a human connection. It's a connection with um, the buildings around you and the infrastructure around you. It's a it's an, a sense of identity, right? It's all these things that contribute to a sense of place, and so it's important to tell those stories, mm-hmm. you know. And that's been a heavy focus of ours. Have you found that? Um that the uh, music stations, WFPK and WUOL and uh, some of the events like that are good entrees into underserved parts of the community because music is so universal and um, mm-hmm. and the events are really just so fun. Yeah. And free, I mean, you know, most of the time. You know, it's, um, I've, I've called uh, the music stations a gateway drug to the news before. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, sort of, yes. Um we're, we've changed a lot about what we do um, through the music stations in the past year or so. I'll give you just two examples. One, um, a few months ago on FPK, we dedicated an entire day an entire day of programming to mental health awareness. We had every hour through the meat of the schedule of that day, we had a different local expert talking about um, how to destigmatize conversations around mental health, how to get through to people, how not to trigger someone, how to approach a family member, or a friend who you think is in distress, right? Um, and we par- we um, we uh, partnered that with um, requests from the audience all day, and we set up this voicemail, and you could call in, and you could say, "I want to play such and such song," and tell us why. Mm-hmm. And we thought we would get some requests throughout the day that we'd sprinkle in, whatever. From 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. straight, we did not program a single song on our own. It was all done by the wow. community, and it was so powerful. It was like. These people saying, like, I want to play this song, you know, for my dad who died by suicide three years ago. It was his favorite song. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. so powerful. I still get a little emotional talking about it. Um, that's a connection. That's the, sort of, um, that's the sort of anti-algorithm, right? If we're competing against Spotify and Pandora and these services where you can just sort of hit play and, you know, an algorithm will figure out sort of generally what you like and feed it back to you, mm-hmm. um, we're trying to be the opposite of that. 
And so that kind of programming, I think, connects with people. Um, I'll be quick with this one, the other one. Um, through our classical station, we hired a guy named Jacory Arthur recently to run our music education programming. Jacory performs, um, hip hop artist performs as 1200, public school educator, uh, classically trained musician, and what he's doing is going to um, low income, underserved um, schools, areas, uh, community centers uh, in Louisville and teaching kids about music. And we're creating this community of creativity and access uh, to the arts through that that I think only we can do. And it's through those kinds of things. That's the way the music stations, I think, um, help empower this community. Instrumental Partners is one of my favorite oh my programs God. at LPM. Do you want to just tell people what that is in case they're listening? In yeah, the sure, absolutely. The premise is really simple. Send us, um, you can send us uh, your old, unused, unloved, beat up instruments, and we will pay to have them rehabbed and then distribute them to kids who need them. Um, it is an amazingly powerful program. And if you want to see real magic, check out a kid like connecting with an instrument for the first time in their lives. I mean, it is just, that's a moment you will never forget. And that for a lot of these kids will change you. Mm -hmm. um, you, you sort of mentioned the crossing over of the different assets of Louisville public media to sort of serve the community more comprehensively and in a less compartmentalized way. So are you going to start putting, you know, Metro Council meetings on the Do 502 calendar and try to help <laughs> us promote some of these civic events yeah. in addition to just actually, we are. fun stuff? We are, actually. Um, one of the things... I ask that in jest, but it's really sort of a tough... It's really sort of a, a real big challenge in terms of trying to teach the community about, you know, what's going on and what they should be interested in. Sorry to... I, I mean, it's up to, it's up to them to decide what they're interested in. It's, uh, and it's up to us to, I think, respond to that But um, in a way. But uh, yeah, actually, one of the things we're doing with Do 502, it had traditionally been um, you know, music-focused and art-focused. And so we're trying to make it a, a, a true community calendar. So we've, we've partnered um, with various institutions and organizations, Metro United Way, we're working on a partnership there um, to work with them, uh, fund for the arts, um, the mayor's office, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but they're like the citywide calendar now feeds through do 502. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so, um, and, and the sort of innovation of do 502 is, um, that, you know, if you register as a user, you can upvote certain things. And so, um, there's a bit of crowd control on what, what becomes popular too, which I think is a cool feature. And it, sort of enables um, uh, people to see uh, what kind of interest there is out there for mm -hmm. different things. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, what about Louisville Public Media getting out on the ground in the Highlands? Mm -hmm. you know, we may not be an underserved community in terms of folks who listen to the radio or who read the website, but... Um, you know, we're a little starved for live cultural events. We don't have too many venues where you can go hear music or go see a debate or mm -hmm. listen to a lecture. A lot of that's concentrated in the Central Business District and around the university and that sort of thing. Any, And we'd, we'd love to have you uh, in the neighborhood more often. Any thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the things we're doing right now is uh, we're in a strategic planning process, and so we're trying to um, uh, sort of clarify a vision for the next three to five years for the organization and, and um, we have a huge reach right now, but we have a huge opportunity as well to sort of refine that. So, um, you know, for all of the effort and resources we put into reaching new audiences, we have to put the same effort into better serving our current audiences, right? And so 
Um, we have a really high concentration in District 8 of listeners and of members, and um, we want to make sure that we super serve those folks as well. Um, we've got a um, we've got a new-ish event that is called On the Record with Ryland Barton. It's a mm-hmm. sort of like Politics in Pints series, right? You sit at a bar, talk to you know he interviews a um, someone of influence in politics and government. Uh, we stole Ryan Quarles on his way to your event last <laughs> did you really? he was a podcast guest about two weeks yeah. ago because nice. he had a couple hours to kill before your event. Nice. He did a great job. That was a that was a really cool event um, in part because. Um, there were a bunch of young farmers who came. Oh wow! And uh, the Q, there's always a Q and A afterwards with the, with the guest, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes you never know how. That, I mean, you never know how that's going to go, right? Yeah. Uh, sometimes it can be like hyper partisan, and you know we've had protesters show up and make a scene. But um, with him, it was this like deep dive into the future of hemp in Kentucky and the digitization of farming and why you have to have a strong a broadband connection to be a, a modern farmer. And it was just a fascinating conversation, particularly to have in Louisville. Yeah, and I, I started to cut you off no. about what you all were doing sort of in the ground, in, yeah. on the ground in our area. And I think that that event uh, is fantastic. That's at Mile Wide Brewing Company, which is that, that that's an, out, just on the outside of the, your district. It's close. Yeah. But that's something that's going to rove. I mean, that's going to move to different places. And so that's something that I, I could see happening in the Highlands. Yeah, too. great event. And yeah. Ryland's a great reporter. And you mentioned he covers the State House. And I always get the notices about who the guests were going to be. I noticed that, there, that you don't really do that, though, with local officials. I haven't seen any on the records with Ryland or with Amino or anything like that that focuses on, a, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you should have some events with city council members so we can go <laughs> be there. But, um, you know, I just, yeah. uh, I mean, is, is is the interest in who people's elected officials are, people are interested in what your state elected officials are than your local elected officials, or... Good question. Sort of both. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think part of what's happened um, in the past in a decade or, or plus in this country is, like, the national the nationalization of politics, mm-hmm. right? So um, that sort of overlays state and, and especially local, right? Because mm-hmm. like, if you're out there, I mean, we have, uh, obviously we have partisan Metro Council races, but um, the act of governing at the local level is generally not super partisan. Um, shouldn't be. It, well, it shouldn't be, yeah. I mean, it generally isn't. I right. mean, there are a few issues you could pick out, but, um, you know, um, I, so I think that if you look at Democrat-Republican like teams, I mean, it's become like, NFL football or something, right? Like mm-hmm. my team at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't translate as directly to local level. And right. so sometimes it's hard to connect. Right. You know? Um, the idea of doing on the record with local officials is really interesting and something we actually have been talking about. Um, it is, that's a new event for mm-hmm. us. And so we're sort of still testing it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could see something like that. I could see interest for that too. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, whatever the right. Uh, forum or venue or experiment is, I think that, um, you know, local government really counts on local journalism Mm -hmm. to help us get the word out about important things, to hold us accountable, um, to really dig in there and, and, you know, try to learn what's going on behind the scenes. And like you said, some of the examples, when I asked you about it, you can see where um, journalism has led the way in forcing government to action and responding time and time again this year. Yeah. So um, I think that's why that's why journalism is called the fourth estate, 
right? I mean, it's inextricably linked to government, and it's, it's a corrective when government goes wrong. Yeah. So I mean, we've we've run out of time as we tend to do on these things, but I think I think the parting message to support local journalism is as good as anyone. If you want to take a minute to let people know, you know, where they can find out more about Louisville Public Media and support it or not, go ahead and. Absolutely. I, we're looking for any, any and all to make uh, an investment in local journalism and local news. Think about what you value um, in terms of information and think about your routine. You know, a lot of people get up in the morning and they listen to Morning Edition. Maybe they listen to All Things Considered in the afternoon. Maybe they rely on uh, the investigative reporting we're doing to better understand uh, how government works and where it's going wrong. Maybe they rely on a voter guide here and there. It's really easy to support that. Uh, but it's also really important, the contraction of local news, especially over the past decade or so, um, is in large part due to consumption without value, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, um, so it's really important to support local journalism. It's, it's expensive to do it well, um, but five bucks a month is really all we ask. WFPL.org is the way to do it. WFPL.org. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Stephen George, for being our guest on the 20th episode of the podcast. Uh, we hope we can do some more stuff together sometime. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash cmconed8. And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our bi-weekly e-newsletter.